we will be continuing our series in James entitled Born Again Behavior. Last week we focused on chapter 4 verses 6 through 10 and we learned that God gives greater grace to his people if they will humble themselves and submit to him, resist the devil, and draw near to him through repentance of their sin. In the next section, James returns to warning his audience about worldliness, and this time he focuses on their speech and what they've been saying to one another. Please take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 4. Our text for this morning, or for today, will be verses 11 and 12. I have entitled this sermon, Speaking Evil Against Other Believers. I'm going to go ahead and read our text, pray, and then we'll get to work. The next thing James says in verse 11 of chapter 4 is, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Father, as we humble ourselves now and come to you, uh, we place ourselves under your authority and under your word. We pray that as your word hits our ears, that we would receive it. We would comprehend it and receive it. As it hits our hearts, uh, we would believe it and apply it and live it out. Uh, help us to uh, learn this morning from this very critical text on how to speak to our brothers and sisters in Christ um, and and what it means to speak evil against them or to judge them. Just help to illuminate us now on this great subject and help to lead us to repentance uh, as we seek to please you with our lives and to benefit our brothers and sisters in Christ, to build them up. And so teach us now in this moment. We humbly submit to you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, and that would be at verse 11a. Please look at it with me. This is the next thing James says. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. So stop right there. James comes right out and addresses yet another ungodly, wicked, sinful behavior that was being demonstrated in his audience or in this congregation, this church he wrote to. Uh, the Greek verb behind the word speak is katalaleo. Uh, it is associated with katalalos, which means slanderers. And uh, you can see that in Romans chapter 1, verse 30, where it's katalalos is translated as slanderers. Now, Webster's defines slander as the utterance of false charges or misrepresentations which defame and damage another's reputation. Uh, the Learner's Dictionary defines it as, quote, to make a false spoken statement that causes people to have a bad opinion of someone, uh, unquote. In this particular context, katalaleo, definitely carries the slanderous or slander meaning with it, but it's quite a bit broader than that. We don't want to reduce it down just to slander, that kind of evil speech against someone. It actually refers to all forms of evil speech or all forms of harmful speech, including slander, libel, gossip, criticism, 
patronization, condescension, insult, uh, ridicule, mocking, teasing, scorning, and even judgmentalism. R. Kent Hughes tells us that the primary connotation here with Catalaleo is talking down to others. Uh, maybe we would call that belittlement, or actually the technical term for it would be patronization. Uh, when we talk down to someone, we are patronizing or patronizing them. Uh, we are treating them like they are inferior uh, and below us. Has an adult um, ever said to you, another adult ever said to you, stop talking to me like I'm a child? Have you ever had an adult say that to you? I have. Uh, congratulations, you're guilty of the sin of patronization. You have patronized that person and made them feel lower than you or feel like a child, and I would just simply want to welcome you to the club because I've done that, and who hasn't done that? Now, I think it's important for us to try to establish some motive here behind all forms of evil speech. I mean, let me ask you a question here. What what drives the harmful speech James is pointing to here? What motivates us to speak evil against other believers? I think it's very important that we get to the pathology of this kind of behavior. I could sit here in this sermon and tell uh, tell everyone listening, including myself, to stop speaking evil, stop speaking harmful speech against people, but I think what will be helpful is to get down to the pathology of it. What creates this in us? What leads us to do this? What motivates us to speak evil against other believers? And I have for you five ungodly motivators five ungodly motivators. A, uh, the first ungodly motivator is envy. What is envy? Envy is the desire for others' traits, statuses, abilities, or situation or station in life. Um, envy is uh, what Galatians 5, 19 to 21 calls a sin of the flesh. Uh, I like what Thomas Aquinas once said. He said this, Charity rejoices in our neighbor's good, while envy grieves over it. I think that's very insightful. Uh, Proverbs 14.30 tells us that envy, um, it, it, it's like a cancer. It rots the bones. Um, now, envy can lead us to say harmful things that are meant to bring others down to our level. You know, if we're envious of somebody who has a higher station in life than us, then envy can lead us to say harmful things about that person in an attempt to kind of bring them down to our level or, or maybe even lower. Why? So that we can feel better about ourselves. Now, I saw a great example of this in a movie recently, uh, probably the other day, I think I watched this, maybe a week or two ago, where two gals were discussing their friend's children, and their friend had these children that were just well-mannered, obedient. They were just good kids. They were kind, nice kids. They didn't fight and pull each other's hair. They were just very well-behaved. And these two women were sitting there talking about their friend's kids, and they were just astonished at the kid's behavior. Um, they were amazed by this woman's kid's behavior. Why? Because their own kids were very poorly behaved. They were very bratty and always fighting and bickering and talking back and all of these things. And so they just loved how this other woman's kids behaved while not being too thrilled about their own. So they were envious of this woman's kids. Now, near the end of the conversation about this woman and her kids, 
one of the gals out of nowhere jealously quipped, too bad their mom is a drunk. Now, by calling her a drunk, what was this gal attempting to do? She was attempting to devalue her friend's exceptional children in an effort to make herself feel better about her own uh, unwell, non-well-behaved kids or bratty kids. And so that that's a great example of how envy can lead someone to say something evil about someone else. Oh yeah, her kids are great, but too bad she's a drunk. And then, and then at that point now, what that woman is doing is she's attempting to bring down all any bit of good at all that exists in that family or with that woman and her children. And so there's, there's a great example of that. So that would be the first thing. I think envy can lead us to say poisonous, bad things against our brothers and sisters. Uh, B, and this is a big one as well, would be insecurity. Um, our inabilities, our deficiencies... Our, our own failures, our past hurts and hang-ups can create within us insecurity. And this insecurity can uh, at some point be manifested into disdain for those who appear to have a better upbringing or station in life. So insecurity can cause us to have a very low view of ourselves, not like we're supposed to have a high view, we're supposed to be humble, but insecurity is different. But we can have insecurity that just drives us to the point of despising and having disdain for those who uh, are better, seemingly better off than we are, that are in a better place in life. And what happens is in an effort to quell our insecurities, in an effort to calm them down, uh, which can be overwhelming at times. I have wrestled with insecurity my whole life, so I know it can be very overwhelming. But in an effort to quell them, what we do is we tear down others through uh, either subtle or overt criticism or ridicule. Um, what happens is talking trash about others becomes a kind of morbid self-medication or self-therapy. And, and all of it in, is entirely driven by this insecurity. Uh, so that's another one. Um, C uh, would be self-righteousness. Um, knowledge can puff up and bolster pride, especially biblical knowledge. First uh, Corinthians chapter eight verse one. Um, biblical knowledge is wonderful, and it's meant to humble us and educate us on the gospel and these sorts of things. But sometimes it can puff up. I remember when I first started looking into the doctrines of grace. Um, the whole purpose of the doctrines of, of grace is to ground someone in the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, and humble them. And what I did was I misused that knowledge and got very prideful and got very self-righteous and got very critical of others who didn't hold the precise theological views that I had. It was a, it was a real mess. Um, but self-righteousness, it can, it can uh, within the context of self-righteousness, knowledge can puff up and build pride. And pride does actually create a kind of self-righteousness. And it creates a, a critical correcting spirit or corrective spirit. A self-righteous person is always comparing his or herself to others, always weighing others spiritually. And quite frankly, everyone they weigh is always comes up short and is found wanting. None of, no one's is ever as good as the self-righteous person. The self-righteous person is near perfect while everyone else is, you know, out of the way, peck. They're just dregs. They're just no good. Uh, self-righteous person is, is quick to, 
to speak their mind and correct you when your view of scripture or your theology doesn't align perfectly with theirs. Um, Self-righteous people are moral police and and they're nitpickers. They uh, will criticize other believers constantly when those other believers' behavior doesn't match that of their own. And so uh, the self-righteous person is the Pharisee, uh, the one who sees everyone else's sin but doesn't see their own sin and makes a huge big deal about everyone else's sin but totally minimizes their own sin. Self-righteousness is, it is a, a, a bad and a wicked thing that will lead the self-righteous person to say harmful, evil things about other brothers and sisters. And D, we have empty talk. Well, you know, sometimes we just don't have a whole lot to talk about. So what do we do when we don't have a lot to talk about? We fuel the fires of conversation with the flesh of others. We figure if we have nothing else to talk about here, we may as well talk about other people. And, and, and this is just straight up gossip. It's just straight up gossip. Uh, listen to what uh, the Apostle Paul or how he describes the reprobate those who hate God and will never believe in Jesus, in Romans chapter 1, verses 29 and to 31. Listen to what he wrote here. He says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. He says they are full of envy. We just talked about that. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. And here's what he says. They are gossips slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I mean, this is, this is like, this is heavy duty what he's saying here. But notice how he points out slander. We talked about that. Notice how he points out envy. But notice too how he calls the reprobate gossips. Gossip is the behavior of reprobate, hell-bound, God-hating people, not the people of God. This is something that, that we need to remember because I think we are, we are all prone to gossip. And, and we don't just gossip when we don't have anything else to talk about. We love to slip in our little digs about others, especially other brothers and sisters who are, who are a bit different from us. We need to stay away from gossip. That is the kind of sinful, wicked behavior that belongs to those who hate God. Why would we mimic the behavior of those who hate God? And then lastly on our list here, we have E, revenge. When, when someone hurts us, uh, we are tempted to retaliate verbally and even physically, depending on the severity of the tech. And, and what I'm not talking about here is I'm not talking about self-defense. I'm just talking about revenge. But when somebody hurts us, there is a temptation there to retaliate verbally, right? I mean, we all experience that. And this was happening in the congregation James wrote to. Uh, the rich were mistreating the poor, and the poor sought revenge. And what did they do? They attacked the rich verbally. We looked at that back in chapter 1, verse 26. 
And then, and then also you had the aspiring teachers of God's word. They were so utterly competitive with one another. When one began to excel a little bit, the others wanted revenge and they began to curse him. We saw that in chapter 3, verse 9. I like what R. Kent Hughes wrote. He said, Revenge over something slight, real or imagined, is often the motivation for Christian slander. Now let's summarize what we've covered so far here. What are the five ungodly motivators for speaking evil against other believers? What have we covered? They are envy, insecurity, self-righteousness, empty talk, and revenge. In the rest of the section, James describes two things that happen when we speak evil against other believers. The two points that he makes are meant to literally stop us in our tracks and cause us to put an end to this sinful, wicked behavior. Let's begin with the first point. Number one, we exalt ourselves above God's law. We see this in verse 11b. James continues and says, The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. What a profound thing that he has said here. Now, let's begin to break this down so we can understand what he means. First of all, we need to understand that God's commandments or law is the standard by which men are held to and the standard by which men are judged. God's commandments or law is the measuring stick, if you want to call it that. And when we speak against other believers, what we're doing is we are judging the law as being less important than our own opinions, and we are establishing our own set of standards by which the people of God ought to live. We are, in effect, saying, the law is insufficient, so I will render a new law, my law. Every time we speak evil against another believer or judge them, as James adds here in the text, you notice that how he adds judge them, we are judging the law, we are usurping the law, and we are placing ourselves above the law. Now, when we we do this, we are no longer acting like law-abiding Christians, but we are acting like judges. And we become transgressors of the law. We actually, when we do this, when we, when we judge other believers, when we uh, say harsh, nasty, mean things about other believers, whether behind their back or to them, when we do this, we are doing what? We are breaking God's law. We are breaking the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew twenty-two, thirty-nine. Now, it's important that we do not misunderstand what James did in fact say here. He did not say that making judgments is wrong. Christians are to make right judgments, which have nothing to do with appearances. John chapter 7, verse 24. It is actually our duty to make right judgments. How can we determine a false prophet, Matthew 7, 15, except by judging him against the standard of God's word? 
We are to judge sins. We are to judge uh, the sin of adultery, murder, lying, and theft. We have to judge those things as sins. And if anyone that we know engages in those things, we have to judge them as being sinful, which should lead us to lovingly admonish them or preach the gospel to them or to minister to them however the Holy Spirit seems fit in that moment. We have to make judgments. We're we're called to make judgments all the time. If we don't make judgments, we're not going to know how to respond to various things. So James is not talking about that here when he talks about judging our brothers and sisters here. What James and the rest of God's word forbids is judgmentalism. Judgmentalism is a critical and condemning spirit that judges everyone and everything with the sole purpose of trying to run others down, trying to bring them down, trying to essentially destroy them. Uh, R. Kent Hughes said something else that's really good here. He says, It is this unkind, judgmental spirit that James attacks in verse 11b. His point is, When anyone speaks uncharitably against a fellow believer and judges him, he breaks the law of love, the royal law, which then makes him guilty of breaking the whole law of God. His failure to keep the law amounts to judging it. In that, he has judged it to be invalid and totally unnecessary. I think that's a very, very good commentary on verse 11b. So, When we speak evil against other believers or judge them, we exalt ourselves above God's law. Why? Because God's law is the standard, not our opinions or whatever it is that we want to say. That's a scary thought. I think for for a long time, we've just reduced talking about others down to gossip or slander of these things. But actually, we're violating something much, much greater here. We are placing ourselves above God's law. That, that, that should terrify us. In the next line, James takes the absurdity of a judgmental critical spirit a step higher. Let's move to the second point. When we speak evil against other believers or judge them, number two, we exalt ourselves above God. Verse 12. Wow. James says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. And then he says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Here, James reminds his readers of a simple truth. And that simple truth is this. There is only one lawgiver and judge. And guess what? His name is not Phil. His name is not Fred. His name is not Billy. No, his name is Lord Jesus. In John chapter 5, verse 22, the Lord Jesus declared, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. In other words, he's given it to me. And right before his ascension, Jesus told his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Matthew 28, verse 18. Okay, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has all authority, all of the authority that exists 
in the entire creation and outside of creation on heaven and on earth throughout the universe, all authority has been given to the Lord Jesus and he alone is the lawgiver and judge. And yet, when we speak evil against other believers or judge them, we are making ourselves higher than the lone lawgiver and judge. We are attempting to establish a throne that is above the throne of King Jesus. Let that sink in for a moment here. We are trying to make King Jesus and his beloved people our footstool. How offensive this must be to the Lord Jesus when we do this. Notice how James also points to God's sovereign capacity to save and to destroy. This theme is repeated many times in the Bible. We see it in Deuteronomy 32, verse 39. I'll read it. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. And he says this, I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. We also see it in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6, where it says, The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. And in another uh, place in scripture, uh, we see it in Matthew verse uh, chapter 10, verse 28, where Jesus declared, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There are three wonderful examples of God's capacity to save or to destroy. And these scriptures that I've just cited to you, that I've just read to you, they illustrate James's logic here in this verse. Since God is the only one who can save and destroy, only God has the right to judge. Therefore, for us to judge one of his creatures... A fellow believer is to usurp a right that only God has. Thus, judgmentalism is not only arrogant, it is blasphemous. It is blasphemous. Most, if not all of us, would agree that speaking against other believers and judging them is a serious sin. I mean, come on. We, we all, if we're, if we're believers, we, we do tend to agree with that. We, we do tend to believe that. We, we believe that we ought not speak against other believers, and yet uh, sometimes we find ourselves doing it. So there's a mystery there. I don't understand the disconnect. But I think that the majority of us, if not all of us that are listening to this message today, would agree that speaking against other believers and judging them, that's just, that's a serious sin. That's a big sin. But you know what James does here in this text for us? He sets the record straight. He tells us very plainly that it is one of the worst sins because it is self-exaltation above the law, because it is self-exaltation above God. Man, let that sink in. 
when we speak evil against other believers, we're not just gossiping, we're not just slandering, we're not just ridiculing, we're not just committing any one of a hundred sins. We are committing a grievous sin of sex, uh, of self-exaltation above the law and above God himself. That should absolutely terrify us. Who would have ever thought that that doing something that is so seemingly normal for us at times would be such a grievous sin? Well, newsflash, it is. And you know, this is why the Apostle Paul admonished the Corinthians to judge nothing before the appointed time and to wait until the Lord Jesus comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and he will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Let's begin to, to wrap it up. Closing. Have we spoken evil against other believers or judged them? I want you to think about that for a moment. Maybe what we ought to do is think about the last time we did that. Was it this morning? Was it yesterday? Was it last week? Was it a month ago? Have we spoken evil against other believers or judged them? And and when was the last time that we did this? Ask yourself that question. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if you've done that and when you did that. And, And ask him to call to memory what you actually said. Here's the deal. If we have done this, if this is true of us, James tells us very plainly that we have committed not just the sin of slander or gossip or evil speech against a believer, but we have committed the grievous sin of attempting to exalt ourselves above God's law and above God himself. What happened to Lucifer, the most beautiful of angels, heaven's choir director. What happened to him and one third of the angels when they tried to exalt themselves above God's law and God himself? What happened to them when they did this? They were cast down to the earth and to Hades. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, Jude verse 6. Now, that's a terrifying thought, but it happened. And we need to understand that as believers, God will never cast us down like the devil and the demons, but he will most certainly, absolutely discipline us if we hurt other believers and attempt to usurp his law and divine authority. He will do that. He will discipline us. We need to to know that. How will he discipline us? I don't know. He disciplines each of his children in the way that is perfect for each of his children. But he will absolutely do that. And, and let me ask another question here. If we've done this, if we've spoken evil against other believers, what is motivating that? What is behind it? What is driving our, our speaking evil against other believers? What is causing that? Is it envy? Envy is a sin of the flesh. Envy rots the bones. 
Envy is something we turn away from and repent of. Envy is not something that we entertain or bolster or hang on to. Soon as we detect it, we need to confess it and repent of it and turn away from it. Contentment is the great antidote to envy and to similar sins like jealousy and covetousness. 1 Timothy 6.6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And that's what we want, right? We want something that is of great gain, that, that benefits us spiritually, that benefits us emotionally. Maybe somehow it benefits us physically. That envy is not a beneficial thing. It is a cancer that rots, and it is a sin. And if it leads us, if it motivates us to speak evil against other believers, or anyone really, it doesn't have to be just believers, but believers in particular in this context, what are we doing here? We're not only attacking them, but we're setting ourselves up above God's law and above God himself. And I'll tell you what, God is going to deal with us. Is it envy? Or maybe... It is insecurity that's driving this behavior in us. And, and I would just ask a question. Why are we insecure? Why would any true believer uh, in Jesus Christ, any true disciple, any real Christian or follower of Jesus Christ, any born-again person, why would they have insecurity? Why would we have insecurity? Do we not understand that in Christ we are perfectly loved? Ephesians chapter 3 verse 19. In Christ we are fully accepted. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. In Christ we are never alone. Never. Matthew 28 verse 20b. In Christ we are safe from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 9. In Christ, we are spiritually preserved and protected. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. In Christ, we have all the promises of God. All of them are yes and amen. In Christ, every promise God ever made is for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. In Christ, we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, and is kept for us, totally preserved, kept for us, totally preserved in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Do we not understand what we actually have in Christ and, and who we are in Christ? That we are fully accepted, that we are loved with a love that is agapal, is perfect, why would we ever feel or sense any insecurity at all? We ought to be the most secure people in the entire world because of who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. Is it insecurity? Is it self-righteousness? The only righteousness that justifies and saves sinners is the righteousness of Christ that comes to us through faith alone. Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Apart from Christ, there is no righteousness. In fact, self-righteousness is an oxymoron. Self-righteousness is the figment of an unregenerated imagination. Self-righteousness is an illusion. It doesn't even exist. And yet, 
Self-righteousness lands sinners in eternal hell. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. There is no room for self-righteousness in born-again people. No room for it. The righteousness that we now have is the righteousness of Christ. It is an alien righteousness. It is a foreign righteousness. It has been appointed to us or applied to us or imputed to us through faith. It is the righteousness of Christ. We don't have our own self-righteousness. So I don't know how we could ever entertain the idea of possessing such a thing. It just plainly does not exist. It is an illusion. So may we not be self-righteous people. (laughs) We ought to be humble people, humble people. Is it empty talk? Proverbs chapter 10 verse 19 offers great wisdom to those of us who like to talk a lot. Yeah, I'm talking about myself right now. You all know this. What does Proverbs 10:19 say? It says, "Where words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent." Look at that virtue of prudence. I love that. Didn't James say something similar back in chapter 1 verse 19 of his letter when he said, "Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and what? Slow to anger." Look, here's the deal. Empty talk, I mean, just stop and think about this for a moment. Empty talk, what value is there in empty talk? Do we not understand that every idle word is going to be aired out on the day of Bema judgment, weighed out and exposed? Every idle word. I mean, empty talk is a series of idle words. Just think about that for a moment. That's a a, a terrifying thought, if you think about it, that everything that we say is going to be brought out in the open and judged. And so what is empty talk? Why are we just making up things to talk about? I mean, that's utterly ridiculous that that we would engage in empty talk. I, I tell you what we need to do as believers. We need to speak less, and we need to really begin to think about what we're going to say. Whatever happened to the art of processing our speech before it hits our lips? We need to get back to that. This is something that I need to do. This is something that you need to do. Empty talk. Is empty talk driving this evil speech? We just end up talking about people because we have nothing else to talk about? That's just wicked and sinful. Or is it revenge? Is that the motivator? What does Romans chapter 12 verse 19 say about that? What did Paul say to the Romans here? He said, Do not avenge yourselves, beloved, but leave room for God's wrath. He says, For it is written, citing the Old Testament, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Are Christians, are we even to entertain the idea of revenge? We're not to be vengeful people. We're not to be people who pursue revenge. We need to take our stripes, consider those stripes as a badge of honor, and entrust 
every situation, every hurtful situation against us, entrust that to the Lord who is the righteous judge, who is the lawgiver, who is the one who brings vengeance, who is the one who brings discipline to his people. This is not something that we need to pursue. Here's the bottom line. Believers are not to be motivated by any of these ungodly motivators. We're not to be motivated by any of those things. We are to be motivated by one thing and one thing only, love. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14. Whatever you do, do it in love, right? And I might add to that with a thankful heart. If we are motivated by love, we are not going to speak evil against other believers or judge them. We will speak what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may give grace to those who listen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. In Christ, we are perfectly loved, and we now have the capacity to love others. Can we love them perfectly? No, only Christ can do that. But we can love them and we are commanded to love them, and it will be by our love for one another that the world knows we are disciples of Jesus Christ. John chapter 13, verse 35. May we repent of our ungodly motives, our sinful speech toward others, toward other believers, and call upon the Holy Spirit to increase our understanding of the love of Christ for us, and call upon the Holy Spirit to fill us with love for others, especially love for other believers. Amen.